0: Look, a book. A podcast where Auckland librarians read stories. Join us each episode as we read moments from the stories we love. Right now we are exploring The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. A fantastical tale about the adventures of Mole, Ratty and Badger. And about the misadventures of their friend Mr Toad. Today we have James from East Coast Bays Library. Kia ora. And myself, Claire, from Birkenhead Library. Not that long ago... In a place not that far away a group known as the librarians gathered together to retell the classic stories that they love while in the middle of their meeting they heard a sudden loud crash and a sad boop boop. they dashed outside to find a toad sitting in the middle of the road holding just a steering wheel this was none other than the rascal mr toad from the wind in the willows So the librarians decided to take him back to the safety of Toad Hall and try and keep his mind off cars. Today we are exploring the whimsical world of The Wind in the Willows. The author Kenneth Graham lived by the River Thames with his grandmother when he was young. The time he spent here was some of the happiest in his life and set the scene for the stories in The Wind in the Willows. These tales were first told as bedtime stories. Graham would tell his son Alistair all about Mole, Ratty, Badger and Toad and their marvellous adventures on the riverbank. Today, The Wind in the Willows is known as one of the most popular classic children's books of all time. We have read it over and over again and have come to know the characters as if they were old friends. Naturally, we are so excited to delve into their world with you today.
1: The Wind in the Willows has always been a book that I've loved. I loved it as a child for its excitement and comedy. As an adult, I discovered it again, one day when I was moving bookcases. I sat down to read a chapter, for old times sake, and found myself reading the whole book in one rapturous afternoon. As an adult, I found new things to appreciate. The beautiful, poetic language, and the love of wild places. One thing that was, and always will be a favourite, is Mr Toad. One of the greatest characters in English literature. He is brave and adventurous, pompous and self-absorbed. He's a romantic in the old sense, a clown and a dreamer, obsessed with the mundane and, in it, seeking the ineffable. Chapter 2. The Open Road they had a pleasant ramble that day over to downs and along narrow by-lanes, and camped, as before, on a common. Only this time the two guests took care that Toad should do his fair share of work. In consequence, when the time came for starting next morning, Toad was by no means so rapturous about the simplicity of the primitive life, and indeed attempted to resume his place in his bunk whence he was hauled by force. Their way lay, as before, across country by narrow lanes. And it was not till the afternoon that they came out of the high road, their first high road, and their disaster, fleet, and unforeseen sprang out on them. Disaster momentous indeed to their expedition, but simply overwhelming in its effect on the after career of Toad. They were strolling along the high road easily, the mole by the horse's head, talking to him, since the horse had complained that he was being frightfully left out of it, and nobody considered him in the least. The toad and the water rat walked behind the cart talking together, at least toad was talking, and rat was saying at intervals, yes precisely, and what did you say to him? And thinking all the time of something very different, when far behind them they heard a faint warning hum, like the drone of a distant bee. Glancing back, they saw a small cloud of dust with a dark centre of energy advancing on them at incredible speed. While from out of the dust, a faint poop, poop, wailed like an uneasy animal in pain. Hardly regarding it, they turned to resume their conversation when in an instant, as it seemed, the peaceful scene was changed and with a blast of wind and a whirl of sound that made them jump for the nearest ditch. It was on them! The boop boop rang with a brazen shout in their ears. They had a moment's glimpse of an interior of glittering plate glass and rich Morocco. And the magnificent motor car, immense, breath-snatching, passionate, with its pilot tense and hugging his wheel, possessed all earth and air for a fraction of a second, flung an enveloping cloud of dust that blinded and enwrapped them utterly and then dwindled to a speck in the far distance, changed to back into a droning bee once more. The old grey horse, dreaming as he plodded along of his quiet paddock, in a new raw situation such as this, simply abandoned himself to his natural emotions, rearing, plunging, backing steadily in spite of all the mole's efforts at his head, and all the mole's lively language directed at his better feelings, he drove the cart backward towards the deep ditch at the side of the road. It wavered an instant. Then there was a heart-rending crash, and the canary-coloured cart, their pride and their joy, lay on its side in the ditch, an irredeemable wreck. The rat danced up and down in the road, simply transported with passion. You villains, he shouted shaking both fists you scoundrels you highwaymen you you road hogs i'll have the law of you i'll report you i'll take you through all the courts his homesickness had quite slipped away from him and for the moment he was the skipper of the canary colored vessel driven on a shoal by the reckless jockeying of rival mariners and he was trained to recollect all the fine and biting things he used to say to masters of steam launchers when their wash, as they drove too near the bank, used to flood his parlour carpet at home. Toad sat straight down in the middle of the dusty road. His legs stretched out before him and stared fixedly in the direction of the disappearing motor car. He breathed short. His face wore a placid, Satisfied expression, and at intervals he faintly murmured, Poop, poop. The mole was busy trying to quiet the horse, which he succeeded in doing after a time. Then he went to look at the cart, on its side in the ditch. It was indeed a sorry sight. Panels and windows smashed, axles hopelessly bent, one wheel off. Sardine tins scattered over the wide world and the bird in the birdcage sobbing pitifully and calling to be let out. The rat came to help him, but their united efforts were not sufficient to right the cart. Hi, toad, they cried. Come and bear a hand, can't you? The toad never answered a word or budged from his seat in the road. So they went to see what was the matter with him. They found him in a sort of trance a happy smile on his face, his eyes still fixed on the dusty wake of their destroyer. At intervals, he was still heard to murmur, Poop, poop! The rat shook him by the shoulder. Are you coming to help us, Toad? he demanded sternly. Glorious, stirring sight, murmured Toad, never offering to move. The poetry of motion The real way to travel. The only way to travel. Here today. In next week tomorrow. Villages skipped. Towns and cities jumped. Always somebody else's horizon. Oh bliss. Oh poop poop. Oh my. Oh my. Oh stop being an ass toad. Cried the mole despairingly. And to think I never knew. Went on the toad in a dream, monotone. All those wasted years that lie behind me—I never knew, never even dreamt. But now, but now that I know, now that I fully realize, oh, what a flowery track lies spread before me henceforth! What dust cloud shall spring up behind me as I speed on my reckless way? What carts shall I fling carelessly into the ditch in the wake of my magnificent onset? Horrid little carts, common carts, canary-coloured carts. What are we to do with him? asked the mole of the water rat. Nothing at all, said the rat firmly, because there is really nothing to be done. You see, I know him from of old. He is now possessed. He has got a new craze, and it always takes him that way in its first stage. He'll continue like that for days now, like an animal walking in a happy dream, quite useless for all practical purposes. Never mind him. Let's go and see what there is to be done about the cart.
0: I love this chapter. It feels like a pause in the momentum of the rest of the book, a moment when we stop and appreciate the awe of nature. This speaks to me because my favourite place now, and growing up, is in the forest of the west coast of the South Island. My dad grew up on a farm in Harry Harry. There was a large area of native bush that we would always play in. This book is set in the English countryside, but still, the feeling it gives me is the same. It also reminds me of my favourite magical moment, being outside in a forest after a heavy rain. Did you know the earthy smell of rain is called petrichor? When you are next outside after a rain, be sure to look for it. It's very special. In this environment, I cannot help but believe in fairies. Chapter 7 The Piper at the Gates of Dawn, in which Mole and Ratty are awed by nature. The line of the horizon was clear and hard against the sky. And in one particular quarter, it showed black against a silvery-climbing phosphorescence that grew and grew. At last, over the rim of the waiting earth, the moon lifted with slow majesty, till it swung clear of the horizon and rode off, free of moorings. And once more they began to see surfaces, meadows widespread and quiet gardens, and the river itself from bank to bank, all softly disclosed, all washed clean of mystery and terror all radiant again as by day, but with a difference that was tremendous. Their old haunts greeted them again in other raiment, as if they had slipped away and put on this pure new apparel, and come quietly back, smiling as they shyly waited to see if they would be recognised again under it. Fastening their boat to a willow, the friends landed in this silent silver kingdom. Impatiently, explored the hedges, the hollow trees, the runnels and the little culverts, the ditches and dry waterways. Embarking again and crossing over, they worked their way up the stream in this manner, while the moon, serene and detached in a cloudless sky, did what she could, though so far off, to help them in their quest. Till her hour came and she sank earthwards reluctantly and left them, and mystery once more held field and river. Then a change began slowly to declare itself. The horizon became clearer. Field and tree came more into sight and somehow with a different look. The mystery began to drop away from them. A bird piped suddenly and was still and a light breeze sprang up and set the reeds and bulrushes rustling. Rat who was in the stern of the boat while Mole sculled sat up suddenly and listened with a passionate intentness. Mole? who, with gentle strokes, was just keeping the boat moving while he scanned the banks with care, looked at him with curiosity. "'It's gone,' sighed the rat, sinking back in his seat again. "'So beautiful and strange and new. "'Since it was to end so soon, I almost wish I had never heard it. "'For it has roused a longing in me that is pain, "'and nothing seems worthwhile. "'But just to hear that sound once more,' "'and go on listening to it forever. "'No, there it is again,' he cried, alert once more. "'Entranced, he was silent for a long space, spellbound. "'Now it passes on and I begin to lose it,' he said presently. "'Oh, Mole, the beauty of it, the merry bubble and joy, "'the thin, clear, happy call of the distant piping. "'Such music I never dreamed of.' and the call in it is stronger even than the music is sweet. Row on, mole, row, for the music and the call must be for us. The mole, greatly wondering, obeyed. I hear nothing myself, he said, but the wind playing in the reeds and rushes and ossiers. The rat never answered, if indeed he heard, rapt, transported, trembling. He was possessed in all his senses by this new divine thing that caught up his helpless soul and swung and dandled it, a powerless but happy infant in a strong, sustaining grasp. In silence Mole rowed steadily, and soon they came to a point where the river divided, a long backwater branching off to one side. With a slight movement of his head, Rat, who had long dropped the rudder lines, directed the rower to take the backwater. The creeping tide of light gained and gained, and now they could see the colour of the flowers that gemmed the water's edge. "'Clearer and nearer still!' cried the rat joyously. "'Now you must surely hear it! Ah, at last, I see you do!' Breathless and transfixed, the mole stopped rowing as the liquid run of that glad piping broke on him like a wave caught him up and possessed him utterly. He saw the tears on his comrade's cheeks and bowed his head and understood. For a space they hung there, brushed by the purple loose strife. "'that fringed the bank. "'Then the clear, imperious summons "'that marched hand in hand with the intoxicating melody "'imposed its will on Mole, "'and mechanically he bent to his oars again. "'And the light grew steadily stronger, "'but no birds sang as they were wont to do "'at the approach of dawn, "'and but for the heavenly music all was marvellously still. "'On either side of them they glided onwards.' The rich meadow grass seemed that morning of freshness and a greenness unsurpassable. Never had they noticed the roses so vivid, the willow herb so righteous, the meadow sweet so odorous and pervading. Then the murmur of the approaching weir began to hold the air, and they felt a consciousness that they were nearing the end, whatever it might be, that surely awaited their expedition. A wide half-circle of foam and glinting lights and shining shoulders of green water the green weir closed the backwater from bank to bank, troubled all the quiet surface with twirling eddies and floating foam streaks, and deadened all other sounds with its solemn and soothing rumble. In midmost of the stream, embraced in the weir's shimmering arms, spread, a small island lay anchored, fringed close with willow and silver birch and elder, reserved shy but full of significance. It hid whatever it might hold behind a veil, Keeping it till the hour should come, and with the hour, those who were called and chosen. Slowly, but with no doubt or hesitation whatever, and in something of a solemn expectancy, the two animals passed through the broken, tumultuous water, and moored their boat at the flowery margin of the island. In silence they landed, and pushed through the blossom and scented herbage and undergrowth that led up to the level ground, till they stood on a little lawn of marvellous green, set round with nature's own orchard trees. Crab, apple, wild cherry and slow. This is the place of my song dream, the place the music played to me, whispered the rat as if in a trance.
1: There is something magic in the environment of the wind and the willows. Whether it's the lush, natural setting of Mole and Ratty's adventure on the river, or the excitement of the dusty open road, It's easy to imagine yourself there. More than just a place, Kenneth Graham makes them become universal. Not just a road or a river, but the road, the river. They are the whole world. The Wind in the Willows is not a religious book, but it is a spiritual one. Most of the animals are moved by nature, the wind playing through the reeds but Toad seeks a rushing adrenaline and the wind in his face. What inspires you? Is it the quiet places? Or is it the thrill of adventure? We are so lucky Kenneth Graham decided to write down these bedtime stories. The adventures of Graham's woodland creatures are of an idealized Edwardian life Long, golden summers spent playing with boats, picnics aplenty, rambling around with friends. Did it fill you with nostalgia for a time long ago? Or perhaps it made you look forward to our long New Zealand summer ahead? Stay tuned for more episodes with librarians reading The Wind in the Willows. Also head down to your local library to find one of the many different versions or retellings for you to
0: read, watch or listen to. Ka kite anō.